through 8. As we read this, I want you to look at how the deep communion, the deep sense of love that there was between Paul and this congregation, because this sets the tone for this entire letter. Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine, making requests for all of you with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, insomuch in both my chains and my defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace." For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affections of Jesus Christ. Lord, God, I pray that we will have that same affection for one another through fellowship, through sharing our lives, sharing our testimonies, sharing our possessions, our homes, our finances. God, as we live together in community, bind us together with cords that cannot be broken. Lord God, you are glorified when your people dwell together in unity. It is like oil that ran down on Aaron into his beard and into his, his robe and down into his sandals. Jesus prayed that we might be one in John chapter 17, even as he and the Father are one, so that the world would know that you have sent us. God, we're not praying that we would divide the lines and blur them over what is truth, but God, that you would sanctify us by your truth. Thy word is truth. May our unity not be a false unity, but may it be a unity that we continue together in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in the breaking of bread. May our unity be found in the authority of Scripture and Christ's divinity and his sovereign reign over this world and as we submit to him joyfully may we come together closer and closer god we pray that you'll prosper our work here at north valley bible church 
so that God that it will not just permeate these doors and these this room but God it would spread forth and that that God that we would see ourselves uh, responsible to to spur one another on to love and good deeds we pray this in Jesus name amen I don't have my um jigger Jordan so I don't know if I'm just going to just stay planted here <laughs> so that you can record me um so I think that's what I'll do i Realized it right when I started reading, but I'll just stand here, and that's not very comfortable for me. So, you know, I like to roam around. Um, so I don't have an introduction. Um, I just want to share with you that um, this passage in the English is very, very easy. I kind of laugh at people. And they say, well, you know, what does the Greek say? Well, doesn't the Greek make it look easier? Isn't it clearer in the Greek or whatever? Um, sometimes yes, and sometimes no. Because there are phrases that you have to grammatically connect in order to understand what the author is saying. And so we are reading a letter that's 2,000 years old, and we have to surmise what was Paul thinking when he put that grammatical phrase together, because some prepositions in the original language have four to five meanings depending on the context. Sometimes the word order is not anything like English word order, and you're thinking, why did he leave the subject at the end of the sentence? And this is one of those passages. And as soon as I got into the word upon, I was faced with how do we interpret that preposition? Because the way that we interpret it depends, will depend on how we make application. But before I run into the text and start trying to exposit it for you the best that I can, and I know I won't do a perfect job, I can guarantee you that, um, because only the Apostle Paul really knows exactly what he was meaning, and only the Philippians who knew him and had this relationship understood. But what we do know from this paragraph that we've just read is that Paul had this incredible, intimate fellowship with the Philippian church and that he received offerings from this church which was different from all his other patterns from churches that he started as the church planter as their original pastor Paul refrained from taking gifts and Paul would often work with his own hands to supply his needs or churches from Macedonia, and in particular the Macedonian, the Philippian church, would send him gifts to provide for him. And he was willingly taking and receiving gifts from them because there was a mutual understanding between him and the Philippians. And we read this, it was from the very first day that he saw conversions in Philippi. 
there was something special, there was something unique about these Philippian Christians that was not indicative of the other churches that Paul started. When Paul was at Philippi, the very first convert was Lydia, who was a seller of purple material, and she was from the city of Thyatira. But immediately she opens up her home. We don't know where these apostles were staying. In the New Testament era, as you are a traveling evangelist or a traveling teacher, you are completely at the mercy of people who would take you in. We see this in 1 John where it says, They went out taking nothing from the Gentiles, therefore we ought to receive them so that we might be fellow helpers of the truth. So as Paul and his missionary team was going from city to city into new country that church and Christians didn't even exist, he was completely dependent on the love and hospitality sometimes of Jewish people who were open to who the Messiah was, but in this case, there was not a Jewish community at all. There was no synagogue, so that tells us that there weren't 10 um, Jewish elders in that city. In fact, there were only women that met at that riverside. And then later on in the story of the church at Philippi, Paul is arrested, he's beaten, he's uncondemned, and him and Silas are singing and praising and worshiping, and the Philippian jailer comes to faith in Christ. And what does the Philippian jailer do? The Philippian jailer, jailer takes him into his home. He washes his stripes. He feeds him. And so there was this, this community, and when Paul was released, he went to the church and, and, and thanked them. He loved them. They loved him. And then he went off to Thessalonica. And so Paul is remembering, he's going through all of the things that have happened since the time he started, and now he's a prisoner in Rome. You have to read the entire letter in one sitting really to get the whole picture of what's going on in this paragraph, because at the end of this letter, he says, when I was in Thessalonica, once and again, you shared, it's the same Greek word fellowship, you fellowshiped with me because no other church fellowshiped with me in giving and receiving except for you Philippians. And then you go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 7 through 9 and Paul says, I robbed other churches so that I could minister to you Corinthians. And when I was in need and I didn't have any resources, I wasn't a burden to any of you, but what was lacking, it came from the church of Macedonia. It came from the Philippians. And so Paul is saying, I am thanking my God upon. Now that word upon, it can mean two things. It can mean because of, because of every remembrance, or it can mean upon, the idea is at every remembrance and it's not that big of a deal it doesn't change anything doctrinally but I think it changes the way we look at this verse because Paul I believe is now praying with every request with joy and every time at those prayers that's when he is giving thanks 
He's not going back and remembering so much what they did, but every time now Paul prays and every time he receives something from them or every time he, he, he sees someone converted to Christ, because remember, he is in jail now. He's in Rome. He's under house arrest. People are coming to him freely, and all day long he's expositing the Old Testament in Rome, in jail. And he says, I am thanking God. And every time I thank my God, at those times I remember that you guys are a part of my chains. You are vicariously sharing with me in my apologia, the defense. Every time I have to defend myself, I am also defending the gospel. And every time I get to do this, at those occasions, I am thanking my God. So fellowship that he had with this church it is essential for what Paul was doing in Rome it was essential for what he did in Thessalonica as a missionary it was essential when he went down to Greece the region of Achaia because they continued to send him offerings so fellowship in our lives as believers is vitally important you think about how fellowship and spending time with fellow Christians has such a powerful impact on your life. Yesterday, we had a group of men met for Bible study. And some of us are still pulling out shrapnel from a hand grenade. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> but Ron led the study and he threw a question at us that was kind of a curveball. But... After he left, he had to run off. He didn't really run off. He stayed probably 20 minutes longer than he was supposed to. But we stood out here and arranged the chairs and put the tables back. But the Bible study didn't end there. It just continued as we walked out the door and as we were moving tables. And the fellowship was so powerful and so sweet. Tracy and I had the blessing of having somebody in our home last night. And they were heading out the door, and they looked at their watch, and they said, I can't believe we've been here for three hours. And it seemed like ten minutes had gone by because the fellowship, the sharing. This church is something special. It's unique. When the last amen, people, sometimes they have to, and I understand why. You, you have to get out the door because you got a pastor who preaches a long time. But those who can stay, they stay until 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock. Sometimes I get home at 2.30, 3 o'clock. Because the fellowship, it is essential. Spending time with each other for healthy Christian life. Because we represent the body of Christ. We cannot be out of fellowship with God's people and be in fellowship and communion with God. John, 1 John says, I write these things unto you so that you may have fellowship, koinonia, with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So if I am in communion and community with God, I will be in community and communion with God's people. That's the way God has designed it. Doesn't mean you're not saved. Doesn't mean that you're uh, lost. And, and But what it does mean is that you're not being connected. You're not benefiting from the other believer's giftedness. And they are not benefiting from your giftedness. 
So what is fellowship? The, the Greek word is koinonia. And the New Testament was written in koine Greek. And koine Greek, it was the common everyday vernacular that everybody could understand. It was putting the cookies down on the table so the kids could grab it and eat it and understand it. I wish I could understand it better, but I'm working at it. But that's what koine means. It means to hold it in common. It means to share what you have with somebody else. That's what fellowship is. And so sometimes we have a dinner after church and we call it fellowship. And that is a part of fellowship. But that's only a small part. As we are sharing food, we are sharing our lives. And that's real communion. That's real fellowship. So it also means to make a contribution. Fellowship is contributing to the community of believers. And it can be financially. It can be your time. It can be your resources, your home. When you open up your home to a life group, you are fellowshipping, you are sharing. When you bring materials to bless the church, you are sharing. When the ladies go back, they are fellowshipping. They are sharing their gift. They're sharing their time. When our teachers bring a class and and dispense information to us, our ladies who do that twice a week, and our men's group, we are fellowshipping, we are sharing, and we're holding it in common. I'll quickly give you, give you three examples uh, of, of fellowship. One is in Acts chapter 2, 41 and 42. It says they continue daily in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread, and they shared communally. No one said what I have is my own. And so that is the mentality of fellowship. The mentality of fellowship says, I hold everything that I possess in common. If you need it, I'll be there. I needed somebody to cut down a tree that was about 60 foot high. Maybe that's an exaggeration. I don't know. It was probably about 40 feet. But you know what? I, I had a brother in Christ who loves nothing more than to fellowship through cutting down a tree. 79 years old, I reckon Dennis is. I don't know. But my, he looked like a jackrabbit going up that tree. <laughs> Unbelievable. And Tracy said, did you let him cut? I said, yeah, I wasn't about to go up that tree. <laughs> But that was his fellowship. That's his giving to the church. He loves doing those things. And that's what the early church was doing. In the Philippians, we see this word, verse 5, for your fellowship in the gospel. That fellowship is a contribution. That is a financial gift. And in 1 John 1, 3 through 4, that fellowship is knowledge based in who God is and who Christ is, the things that John said we have seen with our eyes, the things that our hands have handled, those things that we have experienced, we share them with you so that you may have fellowship with us through knowledge of who Christ is. We share that equally with one another, a relationship with God the Father and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and that brings us into community with each other. 
So Paul starts out by thanking them for consistent fellowship. That's something we should be thankful for, that we have consistent fellowship with each other. Fellowship brings unity. It was every single request that Paul made, every time he prayed, he thought of all of them. Look at 3, three and 4. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for all of you with joy because they were fellowshipping with each other. There was no division. And Paul says, I thank God because when we fellowship and we share, it brought unity between the apostle and the Philippian congregation. And so when you share and open up your life and you say, what mine is ours together, I want to be a blessing, it brings unity. We don't see ourselves in competition with each other. So fellowship is essential because it brings unity. And fellowship reveals our interdependence. We are not islands. We are not isolated. We need each other. And fellowship heightens that. Paul said, I thank my God. I'm dependent on you every time I remember you. And so it shows our interdependence, our need for one another. It humbles us. A lot of us don't like to receive gifts. We don't like it when people do things for us. We need it. And it brings unity. And it develops an interdependence. And so... Uh, God has designed us. Now, how did he make his request? Paul made his request, we see here, with joy for all of you. So, joy is not based on our temporary circumstances. Let's try to put ourselves in Paul's place He's praying for these believers. He's making every single request for them with joy. Where is Paul writing from? He is writing from prison. So what is the joy that Paul has? And what is the joy that you and I can have? It really is a result of fellowship. It's a result of, of holding everything in common. The contribution that they'd made to his ministry. So he's making his request with joy based on spiritual realities, not on temporary comforts or temporary success. Paul, writing from prison, uses the word joy 14 times, or a derivative of the word joy, 14 times in this short letter. No other book is so filled with joy other than the book of Philippians. And why the joy? You have to ask yourself. Why does he make this request? Because they participated with him. There was a mutual understanding. And Paul was there in prison and he says, What I am doing in prison, you are vicariously sharing with me. And this is a joy to do this. The context for joy is the reality based on a settled conviction that brings peace to you and I. That's what joy is. Joy is the ability to view the world with all of its ups and downs through the lens of faith. 
Paul said, whether I live or whether I'm convicted, it doesn't matter. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Whether I get set free or whether I stay here in prison, it doesn't matter. And so Paul's joy was looking through his world that's so unpredictable through the lens of faith. And you and I can do the same thing. Joy cannot be quantified. It's an intangible quality as a result of fellowship. So we get to verse 5 and we see the reason why he's thanking God. I thank my God. And now if you just go to the word for, and this is clearly the, to be translated the word for, for your fellowship in the gospel. So this is why he's giving this thanksgiving. It's for the fellowship that he's receiving from the Philippians. Paul is always giving thanks every time he remembers their participation and he makes the request with joy. Fellowship in this context, the Philippians had a wholehearted and active participation in every way possible in Paul's ministry. In his labors, in his efforts, in his suffering, in his defense, and spreading the good news about Jesus Christ, they were fellowshipping. Now, what was the duration of this fellowship? So Paul says, for your fellowship in the gospel. That's why he's giving thanks, that you guys are vicariously sharing in what I am doing. Prayer is a way of entering in to fellowship with another believer. Thursday morning at 10 o'clock, I want to encourage the church to fellowship for Sharon. If you can't come to the Bible study, set a timer on your phone, whatever. At 10 o'clock, she's starting to teach right now. God, fill her with your presence. Fill her with your Holy Spirit. Bring back to her remembrance the things that she studied this week. May the dialogue and the time that these women grow together be a blessing. 6.30 on Tuesday night, we can fellowship even though we are not here. I can, you can pray for Sister Susan. Ask God to use her. We can pray and we can share and we can participate what's going on on, those, uh, on the other side of this room. Every Wednesday night, the prayer group comes and we pray and we ask God to bless what those ladies are doing over there. We can pray and ask God to use Brother Rick as he teaches Sunday school, to use Brother Caleb and Tracy and Adriana. And that's what Paul is saying here. I am thankful because of your fellowship, because you are participating vicariously. You are a part of who I am and a part of what I am doing, Paul is saying. Now, the duration of, uh, of their participation, again, shows their consistency. Your fellowship in the gospel, spreading the good news, and it was from the first day until now. I've already talked about how Paul opened, was, had his, uh, opened, Lydia, rather, opened the home to Paul and his missionary team from the very first day that the gospel went to the city of Philippi. She urged him, saying, If you have judged me faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she constrained them. She compelled them. 
When Paul left for the city of Thessalonica, that's where he went to after Philippi, the Philippian church from that time on sent him offerings. I want you to turn over to chapter 4 with me in this little book and verse 15 through 18. We'll just make a few observations here. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel. Now what did he say in verse 5? He says, you fellowshiped in the gospel from the first day until now. So we fast forwarding to the end of the letter. Now you Philippians know that in the gospel, in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church, and the New King James says the no, no church shared. Old English says no church communicated with me. But the Greek word is koinonia. No other church shared. Distributed funds that were given to me. Except, and we know it has to do with money here, because it says concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, that's the very next city. That's his very next place that he went to when he left Philippi. When I was there, you sent aid once and again to my necessities. Not that I seek a gift, but I seek fruit that abounds to your account. We'll stop reading there. But I want you to see that. Paul says that you sent money, you are fellowshipping in the gospel, therefore fruit, and fruit here is talking about salvation of lost people. And it is abounding to whose account? To the Philippians account. Because they gave into this corporate offering to send it to a preacher who was in need. Every time someone clicks on North Valley Bible Church's website to listen to a sermon and someone is edified or someone goes out and shares Christ because of it, every one of us at North Valley, that is fruit that's abounding to our account. I was sent a email this week and I thought well that'll fit in my sermon but over 300 clicks on the sermon audio and eight different countries we are all participating in this and fruit is abounding so whether you have money that's not the important thing but if you open up your home to somebody and somebody comes in there and is blessed that is and and you're not maybe the teacher maybe you just open up your home God is abounding fruit to your account because we are in fellowship with each other. So that's what Paul is talking about from the first day. Now let's see the consistency of it. So I want you to go back a couple of books to 2 Corinthians. This also keep you awake. So if you've got a Bible, if you've got a phone, click on 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And we'll start reading at chapter 7. I mean, verse 7, so 11, chapter 7, 2 Corinthians 11, 7, 
And Paul is speaking with tongue-in-cheek here. He's using this as a sense of sarcasm, irony. He's being very, very sarcastic. Did I commit sin in humbling myself? So again, we have to go into the context of Corinthians to understand that. And we don't have a lot of time to dig deep into it. But the context, Paul is defending his apostleship. False apostles were going out and the false apostles were taking offerings from people. It was customary if you were a preacher or if you had a new message to share that people would give you money as a result of your giving them a new message or a new insight. And Paul refrained from doing that. And therefore, they were saying, you're not really an apostle because you weren't taking any money. And so Paul now is turning it on its head and using irony. And he says, oh, did I commit a sin because of humbling myself and so that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel to you free of charge? You really think about the logic. He says, I robbed other churches taking wages from them to minister to you. And when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to none of you. But what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia. That's Philippi. So not only when Paul was in Thessalonica did they fellowship with him, but when he went down into Achaia, into the region of Greece, they were fellowshipping with him. And in everything, I kept myself from being a burden to y'all so that in me, no one will stop me from this boasting in the regions of Achaia. That was the southern part of Greece. Why? Because I don't know of you. God knows. We could keep on reading here, and I can preach another message out of that one, but we're not going to do that. You're saying, amen. All right. <laughs> All right. Now let's go even further. So Paul gets arrested. He is sent to Rome. They fellowshiped with Paul from the very first day, even until now. So now he's in Rome. So let's jump back over to Philippians chapter 4 and verses 10 and following. So let's go back over to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 10. Look what he writes here. Paul says, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at last... Your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am there to be content. So even though he's content, look, look at verse 14. Nevertheless, even though I am content, I know how to do all things through Christ. I can go without anything. In spite of that, you have done well in that you shared. And that's the Greek word koinonia, that you participated, that you fellowshiped with me. You have done well, you Philippians, in that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians also know at the beginning of the gospel when I departed Macedonia, know that we already read that one. So you can see here he is in Rome. And they are sending him a gift still. Now this is the important thing that I want us to, to, to get. Because what does Paul say here is that he says, you, because of your consistent fellowship, I am now confident 
of what God is going to continue to do. So we go to verse 6, and this verse is often lifted out of its context to apply to salvation. That is not the context of Philippians 1.6. I believe there is an application for salvation. And we can apply it to salvation, but that is not what the author intended for it to mean. And I'll defend that. So when he says, I thank my God, one, because of your fellowship, but I thank my God because I am confident of this very thing. So that's a pronoun, right? Thing. It's in the neuter. And it's talking about this general principle. I am confident about this very thing. What is the very thing that he's talking about? The very thing that he's talking about is not salvation, although it can't apply to that. The very thing that he's talking about is that they consistently shared offerings with the Apostle Paul. Wherever he was at, whenever he had need. And Paul says, I am confident of this very thing, that your fellowship is going to be consistent. Because God began this work in you. It was a movement of God. You felt moved by the Lord to participate in this gospel. And I broke from all of my norms, Paul says. I never receive offerings from other churches. That's the last thing I would do because people would use that against the Apostle Paul. All you want is our money. He says, no, I I would rather go without anything than hinder the gospel of Christ. So Paul is saying here that their consistency in giving is what he is talking about here. This very thing, the antecedent of that pronoun is their fellowship in the gospel. Confidence of consistency is because of God. So, that's true of salvation, but it's also true in the ministries that we have. And and, and so, when God begins it, and we are celebrating 20 years of North Valley Bible Church. Jeremy Fellows, who was the founding pastor of, of, of our church. And we can be confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will complete it. And when is it, it finally finished? It's until the day of Christ Jesus. So let's, let's kind of break that, that verse down. So God brings to completion. This is not a promise of sinless perfection. When God starts, it doesn't mean that we are going to be perfect. We're going to be sinless. We're not going to be perfect or sinless until we see Christ. So that's not what he's talking about. But what it is talking about is Paul's confidence is not in his ability nor the ability of the Philippians. His confidence is not in his achievements or the things that the Philippian church had done. Rather, in the faithful character of God to continue his work through yielded vessels. To bring to completion is not that promise that we're going to have it perfect. We'll never do that. Why is it right to have, for Paul to have such thoughts? Because now he's going to defend that, that, that process that he's going through in his mind. I've got this confidence. I'm thanking my God for your fellowship. 
Now, now, why does Paul, we named one reason already, because it's God who begins the good work. So it's God who's also going to bring it to completion. Same is true of salvation, of course. God is the one who regenerates us. And the Holy Spirit is the one who works in ours to do his will and good pleasure. And so we are saved by faith in Christ alone, but that faith that saves us in Christ alone is also the same spirit that regenerates us and makes us alive, is, the also, is also the same one that brings us along in our spiritual maturity. And we can be confident of that. But that's not the context. So Paul says, just as it is right. The Greek word here is not easily translated. The old King James says it's just as it is meat. And the word meat in archaic English has the idea of what is proper. But the word is actually what is just. And so I think what Paul is trying to say here is that he is rightfully expecting the Philippian church to continue in this fellowship that his confidence is just. His confidence in them is not misplaced confidence. It's not a delusion, but it's based on a mutual friendship that goes so deep. It's a loyalty. When you have a friend that you are loyal with and you know that that person has got your back, and you know that you love that person and you have their back. And that relationship is based on sharing with each other. And you know each other inside and out. And you know that person can be trusted. That's what Paul is saying here. It is just. It is right. For me to think this. And he says, because I have you in my heart. Now again, this is a phrase that's very, very difficult in the original language. And some Bibles translate it just the opposite because you have me in my heart and it's ambiguous and I think Paul deliberately did it that way because it's hard to explain it all but the words I and you are in the exact same cases in the Greek the word to have is an infinitive and the accusative case can be used as the subject or the object of that verb and so Paul is either saying, or both, he's saying it, and I think probably the Philippians who were Greek readers, I think they got it. I think it's more than Paul says, I have you in my heart. You have me in your heart as well. And we have this heart relationship. That's why I am so confident, because one, I know God started the work. Secondly, you and I have each other in our heart. And how do we have each other in our heart? How do we break this in? What does it mean practically for North Valley Bible Church? When we fellowship with each other, when we spend time with each other, when we commune with each other, when we share our lives with each other, we are building a bond that we have confidence that God is going to do it and he's going to complete it. That's why fellowship is so vital. So that's the first reason Paul gives. It's right for me to think this because I have you in my heart. Then we have the word in so much. That is a participle in the Greek, and it is a causal participle, and it's linked down with the end of the sentence. So in English, it's kind of twisted around. 
So if you'll just put your finger there in so much and then go down to where it says you all are partakers because that's the other verb that it's linked with. In so much that you all are partakers with me of grace. Now what does grace mean in this context? Grace is not talking about salvation here. Grace is Paul's giftedness. Paul's ability to take the gospel to Gentile people. Paul's calling as an apostle. That was his grace gift. He says, this grace has given to me to make the world's known and to obedient of the gospel. Romans chapter 5, 1. That's the grace that he's talking about. Insomuch that you guys are partakers in this grace of mine. So now we see some three words that means what it means to partake with him. So let's go back to the insomuch as both in my chains. So Paul says, you are in my chains because of this fellowship. It's right for me to think this because I've got you in my heart. But it's also right to think that you are fellowshipping with me because my chains. When Paul was chained up, what happened to the palace guard? Look at verse 12. I want you to know, brethren, that things that have happened to me have actually turned out to the furtherance of the gospel. And I am confident because you sent me money, because you sent me relief. And I am able now, I, I don't have to worry about other things. I'm not distracted. Paul said, you are fellowshipping with me and I'm confident of this. And my change now, every time Paul witnesses to somebody, you guys are partakers in it. What's the next thing that he says? He says, chains and in my defense defense is every time Paul was brought before a king every time the apostle Paul was brought before a governor and he had to give his defense and every time he gave his defense it's the Greek word apologia he was not just defending himself he was defending the gospel every governor Felix Festus, King Agrippa, his wife Bernice, after they got done interviewing the Apostle Paul, you know what they all came to the conclusion? This man has done nothing worthy of chains. He is defending his hope in the gospel. Paul always ends this, he says, I am in these chains only for one reason, and that is for the hope of Israel. And every king, every uh, governor, they heard the gospel. And Paul says, you are partaking in that. Because when I needed your help, you were there. And then he says, lastly, the confirmation. Every time Paul defended himself, he was also confirming the validity of the gospel. Festus said this when Paul was giving his testimony. And he was giving the confirmation of the gospel. He says, Paul, much learning has driven you mad. You've lost the plot. And Paul's confirmation of the gospel, he says, Oh, no, I am not mad, Festus. I'm sorry. Yeah, Fe Felix. Yeah, Festus was the first guy. Felix. I'm not mad, no noble Felix. I speak the words, and I'm kind of paraphrasing this, of sobriety and truth. And then he turns to King Agrippa. 
He says, Grippa, you know these things are true. And he's confirming the gospel. He says, you know the prophets, Agrippa. And you know, Agrippa, that this crucifixion of Jesus Christ was not done in a corner. It was done on the Jerusalem highway. He was crucified on Passover. The Roman government saw this man crucified, nailed to a cross, and the kings of Judea, they knew that Jesus Christ was, a, was, was crucified because he claimed to be the Son of God. And Agrippa says, whoa, Paul, you have almost persuaded me to be a Christian. And Paul says, in that confirmation of the gospel, because you are fellowshipping with me, you are participating in that. And Paul says, I would to God that you were all together as I am. Not only almost persuaded, but fully convinced and trusting and believing that Jesus is the Christ and that believing you will have life in his name, except for these chains, Paul says. So he ends this with an emphatic testimony, asking God to be his witness. Why does Paul ask for this why does he use such an emphatic appeal at the end of this, this paragraph? For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affections of Jesus Christ. Again, we've got to go to the original language and try to help us understand what the affections really means. Old King James uses the word bowels, which is probably a little bit closer to the original meaning. But it's the Greek word splachnia, and it means the vital internal organs. And this was the heart and the seat of everybody's emotions. And who was producing this affection? I think this is a, the, the, when you see the word of in the Greek, that's a genitive phrase. And the genitive has so, about six or seven different ways to interpret it. It could mean they are Jesus's affections. It could mean that Jesus is the object of the, of the uh, affection. It could be that Jesus is producing those affections. And I think that's probably the best way to, to take this. And so that's why Paul is so emphatic here. God is my witness because Jesus Christ has produced this such a deep feeling for you and I. Their fellowship had been consistent, and it had been with great joy. They partnered in his grace, his calling. So when we mutually share in each other's ministries, whatever they might be, as simple as they are, whatever ministry it is, whether it's cleaning, whether it's organizing, whether it's with our youth, it doesn't matter. When we mutual share in ministry at North Valley Bible Church through partnership, God then brings us together and we are sharing in whatever successes spiritually that God does. Because Paul was not making his mark on the Roman Empire by building large churches. By and large, they were small little congregations that were permeating 
the entire Roman world. And at North Valley Bible Church, when we come together, we have the ability to participate in what goes on outside of these doors when we come together for fellowship and we leave this building. And I'll just give an example. Let's say somebody in our church this morning came here and was discouraged. And you came up them during the meet and greet time and you put your arms around that person and they shared a prayer request with you and they left here victorious and they went out and they influenced somebody else's life for Jesus Christ. We are participating in those things just as they participated in the chains, just as they participated in Paul's defense, just as they participated in the confirmation of the gospel. When a little child goes back there and God uses that time and a little child prays and puts his faith in Jesus because you prayed for those workers, because you prayed for those children, because you were helping, we are participating, we are sharing. And this is the exciting part of being a part, that's kind of redundant, of a local church. I apologize. I know this has been long, and I know it's hot in here. Um, I, I, I wish... Well, God is good, isn't he? And I could have done such a better job. I know it. But God's word is so alive. We could, we could share all day about what we, what we just read. The uniqueness of God's word, that from the very first day, and we see what Paul was talking about, we see that he received an offering in Thessalonica once and again. We see him going to Corinth, Achaia, and what he needed the church at Philippi sent that with him, that Paul broke all of his norms as an apostle. He did things that he wouldn't normally do because the fellowship was so genuine. The trust was so powerful. The affections that Jesus were producing were so radically different. And that's the kind of thing that God wants to do in our church as well, this isn't a history book just to study. It's one to apply to our lives. Let's close there. Father, thank you for this letter. Thank you for the way it's impacting us already. In Jesus' name, amen.